0: Welcome to Fastening Truth, where godly men suit up for the front lines of the battlefield. I'm your host, David Miles. You ready? Here we go. guys welcome back to fastening truth before we get into all of this this week's episode i really just wanted to stop and take a moment to say that it's been a really been a joy to go back and really go over ephesians 6 and all of the armor and all the pieces and i really hope that you've been able to find ways to practically apply all of that information i and here's an easy thing to do Um, Maybe it's not this way for you, but I, I would imagine it probably is. When you're learning a lot of deep, you know, important information about certain passages of Scripture, it can be very easy to be so excited and enthralled with the information that we don't actually take the time to apply it, to see how it fits in personally and in our everyday lives. So I would challenge you if you fall into that boat, and I think all of us to a degree will, we need to go back and look at how truth and the gospel and righteousness and salvation all these different pieces we read about how do they actually fit into your life and are you walking that way realizing that there is a level of armor and protection they all provide and really take it beyond the analogy and really begin to just kind of sit there meditate on that and really let god talk to you you'd be amazed at what all it can do for you so it's been a pleasure to just get a chance to go over that to discuss prayer as we did over the past few weeks, and just going over and looking at all that God has for us as a foundational level. Uh, This week's going to change things up a little bit. Um, This week we're going to be moving more into some of our practical, topic-driven podcasts. So we get the armor. And again, like I said, that was a foundational level. This week we're moving into something a little bit different. And what we'll be talking about this week and maybe even for the next couple weeks is a very important topic we're also going to then after that be heading into some others we've just really kind of beginning to move into the the, the meat of what god has for us beyond the foundational levels although most all of this is foundational when we get to look at that that's kind of the point your specific life everything that god has for you is going to be very different it's going to be very unique but we all have a base that we build upon we have a foundation that is christ we have we have the scriptures, we have everything that we build upon, but how that looks in your life is going to be very different. But today we're going to begin to start talking about a topic that is very practical in application, and it's something that's not talked about very often. In fact, you'll very rarely hear this brought up in churches. Okay, As central and as important as it is, it's not talked about, and you'll see when I tell you what it is in a second, it's not talked about as much because of the potential problems. Not so much that it's going to get you, that it's problematic per se, it's more everybody's preformed ideas around the topic and their passionate defense of those positions. So when we really get into this, we see that there's kind of two sides, there's kind of a clueless middle, but there's just, it causes a lot of controversy and it can cause some very heated discussions. Even though when I tell you the name of the topic, you may wonder what I'm talking about. So what we're going to be talking about is actually what it means to be head of the house. Head of the household. Um, biblical headship. There's a lot of different titles we could put to this. But basically being head of the house. Now, on its surface, especially for some of us, that may sound as just plain and normal. And what's the big deal? Like, why would this be a problem? There are other guys... That are hearing me say this right now, that are thinking, Oh my goodness, are you right, Dave? That that is you are on the money. A lot of that will depend on your personality. All right. So our a lot of our type A driven, naturally authoritative people, you still may see some of this depending on what your household looks like. But there's a lot of this that can be very different depending on temperament, personality and your life experience. Um, Guys who aren't married or who are dating, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, except in the form of looking at your own dad. Or potentially, uh, so the, the headship that we're referring to does extend, I'm talking about head of the house, there's a form of headship that does extend into the local church. We may talk about that on a future episode. Today we're talking about, and we're beginning the discussion on, being head of the house. So, Again, this can get very messy. This is this topic, this discussion, and the problem is, is it's been overly complicated by a lot of different factors, and there's been some very um, polarizing positions. We'll just put it that way on the way this is talked about and handled, and unfortunately, it's created this perception that can either turn you way on or turn you way off. And really, it doesn't need to be that complex and that difficult. Now, there are parts of this that are difficult. I will not even begin to disguise that. There are aspects of what we'll be discussing that you may find controversial, that are controversial, that you may disagree strongly with me on. I only ask you to listen to the information provided and to judge whether or not it is biblical and scriptural. That is what I'm getting at. Because unfortunately, this discussion as you begin to see all the intricate parts we're talking about, goes far beyond the Bible, and that's part of our problem. A lot of our ideas and our notions associated with this topic have nothing to do with Scripture and everything to do with culture. All right? You take this same discussion and you head over into the Middle East, it's not even a question. All right? In some of the Middle Eastern cultures, they have the opposite problems that we have here. Okay? Okay? There's a misunderstanding of headship in those cultures and how God designed that to be, but in a very different way than what we have over here. So the point is, is that this topic is critically important. It has to do with the order that God designed. It has to do with the way things are supposed to function. So this is an important discussion, talking about headship, head of the household. But as we said, it can get messy. It can get very messy. But see, that's the thing. Here at Fastening Truth, we are not afraid of messy because the truth many times is almost automatically very messy with the way it's been so distorted and twisted in our society and in our world. Even discussing the truth in and of itself, getting down there to discover it and to look it and to find it is almost always a very messy process. But since the truth is what we're after, let's get to it. So we're going to refer, so when we refer to head of the house, all right, I want to make sure we're all on the same page as to what I'm talking about. When I say head of the house, I think all of us agree that we understand that we're referring to the household. This is a family thing. This includes wife, kids, you know, anybody that's in your home. This can also include extended relatives, although that does change the dynamic to a degree but you get my point. When it is your house, you are to be head of the house. And I think you understand what I'm saying. We automatically understand this in those confines, but I do want to present to you. And I think we all understand this, that when I tell you that you need to be head of your house, there is a degree to which you do need to be ahead over your children. That's automatic. You need to be over your kids. You need to be working with them. And That is important, and we will get to that probably towards the end of this discussion. But I think all of us automatically understand that one of the core aspects of headship is really a dynamic relationship between husband and wife. As husband and wife, as father and mother, as man and woman. So when we get into this discussion of headship, we almost automatically fall into manhood and womanhood And as they relate to each other in marriage. And that is exactly what we are going to discuss today. We're going to begin that topic and that discussion today. But in the world we live in today, believe it or not, we have to establish before anything, we have to establish what is a woman. All right. Now, I'm not, we're not going to go into all of that nonsense. And that's one of the things that you'll find that we're going to be doing here on Fastening Truth as we come across things, is if something is just nonsense, we're not going to waste our time. Scripture is actually very clear that we're not to engage folly, to engage fools in their folly. We don't need to fall into this trap of needing to explain that which does not need to be explained, okay? So I'm not going to sit here and go through biologic, we're not doing all that, that mess, okay? There's, there's some hilarious, very good movies about what is a woman that you can find out there. there there's plenty of things. What well, we're going to talk about, to be clear and to just state this emphatically, there's no question on this, and if anybody wants to challenge me, I have a biology degree. Okay, So apparently that makes me qualified to make this statement over the roughly 6,000 years of history that we have, is that a woman is an adult human female. We're talking about chromosomes XX. All right, so that let's just put that to rest. Right? That's not what we're talking about today. And I hope all of you are just as exacerbated as I am with us even having this topic continue to arise over and over again. So we're talking about an adult human female, a woman. I don't need to define that term. It is very clear. That's what we're talking about, all right? But what we are talking about today when I ask the question, what is a woman, all right? We do have to establish this in a biblical concept. What does the Bible say about women? Who is a woman according to the scriptures? That's what we're asking, okay? And then what we want to know even more specifically is how does that relate to us as men in the setting of marriage, okay? Okay. And then, of course, and, all right, and marriage. Let's just put that out there too. Marriage, I guess we have to define this too. Apparently, marriage between one man and one woman. We will get into that here in a moment. I'll take you back to where all that came from, and we can look at that. Okay. So, let's actually let's go there first. So, marriage is something, something that's been under attack um, in recent the recent decades um really all throughout human history it's been questioned we could go into that and looking at the relationship of talking about these topics and discussing these core things and then the demise of civilizations but we won't go there today but the point is is that marriage all right and we'll we'll definitely be talking more about marriage in different lights and in different ways in future episodes absolutely but today what we need to see is that in when we talk about marriage I guess the most simplistic definition I have to explain what's going on around us is that anything flies as a marriage as long as it belittles traditional marriage, all right? And we all know that traditional marriage has been one man, one woman, all right? Traditional marriage is a man and a woman, no one in, no one out, all right? That's marriage. You don't have a person on the side. You don't have this note. That is considered adultery. That is wrong. We all we all understand that. Even if people don't want to live that out, we know what that is. All right. Now in recent decades, like I said, there's been a severe attempt to redefine marriage. Okay? Now, I said marriage has been traditionally one man and one woman for pretty much all of human history, all right? But I do want to bring up an excellent point here. We should never let tradition just blindly define what we believe about anything okay so yes it's been traditionally that way since pretty much the well it has been since the the human race was born was was created it's been that way all right but if it was only human tradition we still have a valid point to question it okay you don't have to follow all traditions just because of traditions all right there are plenty of traditions that are wrong that should not be done all right Plenty of things that we do not need to be talking about in that light. So we don't go by tradition alone. But if the tradition has been founded upon biblical principles or was something that God himself initiated, now that changes everything. Because now it's a tradition because it's held to what God has established. So let's go. We're going to look. Um, and this actually takes us back to the very beginning. Seems like an appropriate place to start. But God actually makes this very clear very early on in the Bible. In fact, as early as chapter 1 of Genesis, we see parts of this coming into play. We're going to jump to Genesis tw- uh, chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, and see what this has to tell us about marriage. All right, I will go ahead and read. All right, Genesis 2, 21 through 24. Then the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh in its place. And the rib that the Lord God took from the man, he made a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Therefore, a man will leave his father and his mother, and he will cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. All right. Well, would you look at that. We read this entire thing. And this little section, turns out God's the one who created, designed, and instituted marriage. From the beginning, did you see it in there? Made the woman, brought the woman to him, gave him the This is the, This idea, the father, giving of the bride. All this began, Genesis chapter 2, okay? Let me tell you a little secret. Since it was God's design and his creation and he brought it into being, that means we don't get to redefine it. We didn't define it in the first place. We don't get to redefine it. We didn't invent it. We didn't create it. We had nothing to do with it but to partake, to be part in this blessing that God has given. And I call it that. Marriage is an amazing gift from God, okay? To be married to a woman is a blessing. Obviously, being as a man, being married to anything else is not a marriage. But to be clear with this, God gave women when he gives a woman to you, when he gives you your bride, your wife, that is a blessing. All right? But we're going to go back to our question What is a woman according to God? What is her place? Who is she? What do we know? All right? And actually, Genesis 2 is where we find the creation of woman and we find out, find a very, some very clear points on who she is. I'm going to go back. Let's go to the same part. We're going to go back to verse 18 of Genesis 2. We're going to read that real quick. I want to take a look. I think this provides a very applicable uh, context to what we're discussing. So Genesis 2, 18 through 20. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for, or in some versions, corresponding to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. And brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Okay, so this is the section right before what we just read a moment ago. And you may be thinking, okay, well, why are you reading this? This is this part about Adam naming the animals, which is really cool. And we'll actually probably get into the importance and significance of that, again, in a future episode. But today we're focusing on something very different. Because Adam does name the animals in this passage. But did you notice something about that? That is not the topic. This is almost a side note. And there's a lot to that. And there are other points where God goes into this. And there's some stuff even before verse 18 where... God's giving certain charges and commands to Adam. But this part falls in the middle of a discussion. God has said man is not, it's not good that man be alone. All right. It's probably God's way of saying we cannot leave this boy unsupervised. We cannot, he will not do, he can't do this on his own. And it's true. The way that we are designed to live as men is not doable. Again, there are, Very briefly, there are some people to which God, and Scripture is very clear, it refers to it as a gift from God to be able to live a single celibate life. Okay, Going for God in singleness is not what the vast majority of people are called to. There are some that God has bestowed that gift upon, but it is something that God must give you because that is not the way. And even in that case, there are certain aspects that are fulfilled by God Himself because he has chosen you to that. But no one should just assume that that's the role that God has given for them. I don't care how old you are. It's okay that you are longing for marriage. God put that there. Now, obviously, I'm going to make statements like this, and it may not apply to every single one of you. There may be some of you listening to me that every episode we have about marriage doesn't have anything to do with you. I would challenge you to listen anyway because there are lessons that we learn about marriage that even those who may not forgot my guys that aren't there yet the guys that maybe god has gifted you to a life of singleness there's still so much we can learn from these passages these the bible is written for all of us and there's something we can all learn from it but god is making a very important point here god is not good for man to be alone i will make a helper suitable for him okay something that goes with him that complements him a helper for him. All right, And then it mentions all the animals of the field. Adam names them all but among all of them there is no helper that is suitable. Okay? God is showing here that no other created thing could be Adam's helper. Nothing else was good enough. Nothing else qualified. Nothing else had what was needed to be the helper, to be the companion of For Adam, there was no one else, nothing else that could match that, that could be that. So then we jump into Genesis verse 22, verse 21. Now we're going to read through these again, but I'm going to stop. We're going to point out some stuff. So verse 21, Then the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh in its place. So first off, God just got done making a whole bunch of animals out of the dust of the field. That didn't cut it. So what does he do to make, a hum, uh, to make a helper, to make a suitable companion, suitable person for Adam? What does he do? He takes a rib. This new creation designed to go with Adam is made from Adam. This creature was the same, filled with the same breath of life because the very breath that went all through Adam and every aspect of his being was in that rib. He pulled from the humanness of Adam to create another human by the name of Eve. So it was not created also, but from. This implies a unity. There was not a separate species being. God literally pulled from Adam. He took Adam, the pinnacle of his creation, whom he breathed the breath of life into that was made in his image. And he pulled from Adam to make woman, as we will see. But it's not something altogether different. In fact, it's altogether the same. All right. So he made from the same creation of Adam equal in everything. But as we will see with and the whole point of helper is that it was complementary in abilities and quality. okay? Now I do want to point out one other thing. God chose a rib. Now I'm not going to go into we're not looking at why the ribs specifically I don't want to do rib specifically, but I do want to look at its location. He did not choose part of Adam's foot. He did not choose part of Adam's head, okay? If he'd have chosen part of his foot, that may have symbolized an inferiority to be stood upon, trampled underfoot. Did not choose part of the head to imply that woman was over man, okay? But from the side. Think about somebody standing and walking side by side. This is the illustration, this is the imagery that we're getting here, all right? He pulled a literal rib from Adam to create Eve. But there was a reason why he chose that particular area, and it speaks volumes to us today. Verse 22, And of the rib that God, the Lord God took from the man, he made a woman, and he brought her to the man. So first of all, key points here, God created woman. Man did not create woman, okay? The man did not create the woman in this case. That is not what happened here. And then God gave her to the man. Man did not go find her, take her. Adam gets no credit and has no play in this process. He's literally asleep the entire time. He has no idea what has happened. Man cannot take any credit, and man did not was not there. He has nothing that he can take from this except to receive. Now, another thing I want to point out real quick, we'll get into this deeper in another episode as well. Side note on marriage in this particular verse, notice that Adam is asleep, God takes the rib. He then creates Eve and then gives Eve to Adam. So what we see here chronologically is that the woman knew God before she knew the man. And Adam knew God before he knew the woman. And the man waited on God to provide his partner, his his mate, his wife, and he trusted God. And then God gave him one of his daughters in marriage. All right, so guys, God designed this thing. We really need to leave him in charge. Don't go after just whoever, all right? And I'm gonna be blunt here, all right? You don't go after somebody, and you've heard it a million times, but you need to take it for real and be serious with it, all right? You don't go after a woman because of her face. You don't go after her because of her breasts or her butt or her legs. You don't go after her because of these physical features, you don't even go after her because of the way she talks to you, the way she makes you feel. We are led by the wrong things. All right, we, how many times have you heard in your life, follow your heart? When Scripture tells us the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, who can know it? We trust God in these things. Now, am I saying that you're not going to feel anything for your wife? Of course not. God's the one who put those things there, all right? So I, you better feel something. That's supposed to come. The problem is you can feel those things about the wrong people. So with the decision-making, leave it to God. Let Him be the one to bring it to pass and to bring it into play. By God's grace, I was taught this as a young person and was able to live this out. And I can tell you from being on this side and having watched others who have not, the blessing is immense. It is huge. I am with the right woman. There is no question about it in my mind. God provided it, and He did so in a way that there's no question. I don't doubt anything, but let me tell you something else. Marriage is forever. All right, we're going to read that here in verse 24. It's forever. It's not something that breaks apart. If you, quote, married the wrong person, well, guess what? They're the right person now because you're married. And if there's one thing about that, Scripture is very clear. What God is doing together, let not man tear asunder or let not man separate. Okay, so... Let's just put all that out of our mind. If there's this whole, I'm seeking the one and I can leave the one I married to find the one. No. Once you're married, that's it. You have made a covenant before God. And at that point, Scripture is very clear on keeping your word. All right. So just put all that aside. All right. But this is one thing that teaches us. Let God be in charge. He will make this thing work. All right. Verse 23. Then Adam said, remember, he just got Eve. All right. He's presented with a beautiful naked woman. So it's not surprising that. That he would that, uh, that he would have a positive response. Adam said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she will be called woman because she was taken from man. Now remember Adam had just got done naming all of the animals. So now Adam as we see here, Adam begins to step into that same authority. Adam has stepped into this to name her, to call her woman all right we, we've just named, rhinoceros, and we've named elephant, and we've named all these other animals. He has now called her woman, and it even says right here, why? Because she came from man, and she is like him. She is part of him. That is what he's saying here. All right, actually, in Genesis one twenty-seven, I mentioned Genesis 1. We begin to see the first inklings of this. In Genesis one twenty-seven, it says, God created man, obviously talking about humankind. Let's just let that, let that rest, all right? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay? This passage is important. Man and woman both are made in God's image. Again, there is such an equality between men and women that we, yes, all right, we're, we're nailing that. All right, now in society, the equality. In fact, we've really in some ways made women superior which is part of our detriment that we've belittled man so much. But we'll get into that later. The idea here is that God created both of them in his image. And Adam is recognizing that and making that very clear in these proclamations that he's stating here in verse 23. Now verse 24. Therefore, a man will leave. Now remember, this is not Adam speaking anymore. This is God or actually Moses writing about it, making this statement. But this is referencing this point. In verse 24, Therefore a man will leave his father and his mother, and he will cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. All right, a couple points. When they become husband and wife, what happens? It says they become one flesh. All right? Now, it's very interesting that God took a rib from Adam. All right? In one sense, Adam is not whole. He's missing something quite physically. And then the very thing that was taken out of him is brought back. But it's not just a rib. Now he has Eve, his combat. But the point is, is that there is a wholeness. In one sense, God separated something in the garden and restored it with marriage. This is part of the reason that men and women both are born and are driven to seek and to desire marriage. There is, an, there is something missing. And God made it the way. God made man whole. But when he saw that he needed more, he physically removed something as a way of saying there's something missing. Let me create it from the physical. But we're missing something. And then this is the point. This union creates one flesh. Now let's bring out the idea here. Two become one. All right, There's nowhere in Scripture where the one becomes two again. We don't see that. There's only a joining, not a tearing apart. This is a very clear statement on marriage. It is a very clear condemnation of divorce, okay? Now, to be clear, divorce, while sinful, is something that, that God does forgive. I don't know anybody who's been through it. There's no permanent condemnation. Jesus' blood did not stop at divorce, okay? It's not like the unforgivable sin. Now, we, want, we need to avoid that, and it is a big deal, and there are very traumatic side effects. But And this is part of what he's getting at. This is a huge deal. When you are joined in marriage, we are talking about a spiritual and physical reality of becoming one flesh. Very, very important point to us. All right, so we've been through all this, read all these verses again. We come back to our question, so let's see if we can answer it. What is a woman, biblically speaking? Well, she is created in the image of God, as, she is, as is man. She is of equal importance as man, as part of the pinnacle of the creation of God. There, there is none higher. She's given the same mandates, go forth, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. All these things go and are given to humankind, to man and woman together. Now, what we will discuss is that there is different roles that are played. I don't want to imply absolute equality. God did not create them that way. There's we All the way down to the different looks, the different physical properties, the different capabilities. All that stuff is different, okay? But as far as importance, as significance, and in like a hierarchy in the place of the world, man and woman are both created in the image of God. Very important, all right? Now, I do want to bring up a point talking about the differences between man and woman very quickly. 1 Peter 3.7, uh, this is a scripture that is abused because of the way that it phrases it without understanding what it's getting at. First Peter 3.7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay. A couple things to point out here. Number one, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman. It says, but it does point out the woman is the weaker vessel. But it then immediately says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, treat your wife right, live with her, understand her, work with her. If you don't, you're going to have problems with God. He's not going to hear or answer your prayers. This is part of God's point here. Now, I want to point out something. The Bible is clear here that women are the weaker vessel. Not going to deny what is plainly written, what we just read. Okay, we know that physically, um, we know physically women. and we look look at look at all the just the disaster that's in men in women's sports right now with all the trans, transgender garbage going on. That, look at this. This is not okay, and it just shows what we knew. Men are by 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 genetics, by hormones. Men are stronger physically, and there are very good reasons for that because of the role that God has chosen for men to take. The strength is not given to abuse women. We'll get into that in depth, but that is not the point. But it is a statement of fact that women are not as strong, or in this case, as stated, weaker. There are other aspects when it comes to certain um, emotional and psychological characteristics in which men are stronger in certain ways than women are. Um, we can, we're going to get into that a little bit more as well. This again, but what we're talking about in all of this, again, I want to point out something. There are differences and there may be a physical superiority. There may be a physical uh, advantage that men have. And in certain functions, in certain areas, psychologically, emotionally, there may be certain ways in which men also excel but in no way does this imply that men are superior, that they are, and that women are inferior. This is not the point. We've already established men and women are created equal before God. They both have equal value and importance. They simply have been created with different roles to play. All right, but it says here, the weaker vessel. I want to talk about that for just a second. Women may be the weaker vessel, but I think we look at that in a way, especially as men and coming from that kind of history looking at women as useless as weaker versions of men. Okay, that is not at all how this is to be interpreted or taken into place. All right, let me give you an example. All right, the best way to think about this is the difference between fine china and cast iron. All right, fine china and cast iron, they both are involved in cooking and serving dinner. They both are involved in a meal. They both serve to present a meal to the people that are going to eat it. They both have a similar purpose. They're both involved in creating the same outcome. However, they're, the ways in which they perform that are vastly different. Cast iron is brutally strong. It can handle it, it. just the heat, the things that it has to deal with, makes a brute force in a sense. It is very strong. But when you are trying to serve something, the beauty the honor the class all these things that you see in fine china that's possessed by the china itself in fact there are many ways in which the beauty of the china is much more valued than the strength and the dura- the the durability of the cast iron this is more the dynamic that we're referring to here okay we need to see it that way when he talks about the weaker vessel what he's referring to here is the way in which they need to be cared for by their husbands. They need to be taken care of and guarded because of the way God has made them. There is a fragility in that beauty that has been designed to be cared for by a husband and by a man. Now, am I saying that women aren't strong? Absolutely not. Like many of you know women who are plenty strong. That is not the point at all in this discussion. And there are plenty of women who have gone on to do miraculously amazing things with their life because of either being widowed, single, divorced, had so much happen to them. There's single mothers that go out there that are just amazing in what all they can do. And it's the grace of God that's upon their life to fill a void that should be covered by a man in headship. Okay, It's not to say that women aren't amazing and capable of absolutely amazing things. As I said, they are equal to men in their importance and in their value to God. But there are different roles that God has given. And when those roles are taken and fulfilled appropriately, it just works. That is the way God has designed it. So we need to keep that in mind and understand that they can be, that they can be two separate roles. I mean, look at a successful business. Okay? It, it can't run without all the different parts working together. You can't have a leadership team, a board, all these different parts. There's so many different things that each person brings. All of them are very, very important. Now, again, to reiterate my point about the way the Bible talks about women, yes, we have a passage talking about the weaker vessel. But I challenge you to read Proverbs 30:31 30, and walk away with a diminished view of women. Absolutely not. Proverbs 31 actually gives us the image of a wife. The way they paint a wife in Proverbs 31 is that of a master caretaker, a shrewd businesswoman, somebody who is exceptional and excels in all that she does, and she operates independently. Now, she is operating under the cover of her husband. She operates within his home. She does these things, but but there is this instance in where she's not a slave. That is not the point okay that is not the point at all but that's my what i'm bringing up is that we do not see a belittlement of women in scripture anywhere okay when we see that all right there's a there's a very good phrase i want us to take in here when you're reading the bible just because the bible in certain parts of the bible is descriptive it does not make it prescriptive and what i'm what do i mean by that If it's not, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. There are times the Bible describes very poor treatment of women, but it is not advocating for. God did not say, God did not show. We just simply have a historical record of what happened. All the wives and the, the, the sexual exploits of David and Solomon and these different people, none of those were considered okay. God never changed the rules to allow for multiple wives, wives. God was not okay with any of this stuff, but it happened. And actually, we get to see the problems that arise from that as part of the lesson. The Bible doesn't leave out the inconvenient details. It is very descriptive, but it does not prescribe anything. And there is no belittlement of women that is encouraged, that is prescribed to us in the Bible. It's very important. Now, you may be thinking, David, why are you harping all over this? Because unfortunately, we are folks, we are faced with two alternatives today for most christian men you've got the macho man who belittles and practically treats his wife like a slave and he uses the bible to support himself pointing that she must submit that he is the head that she is supposed to serve him and there becomes this almost hostile environment created on the inferior woman position man is better man is superior woman is inferior and must submit to, and puts this almost slavery position. But then we have this other side where the women are actually the more capable, they're the smarter, and, you know, they are I don't want to put them down. They, they are just as capable as I am. Who am I to say that she can't, you know, have the say in the house? She's smarter than I am. She should run. We end up with this woman trying to take, women taking charge and man being passive. And this also does not work. So we have to understand the place, that women are of extreme value, but God has not placed woman as the head of the house. That is not one of the descriptions. And everywhere that you look, man was, woman was given to man. Man was created first. Man was the one who named woman. There is this relationship of men having that authority over women. Now, when I say that over women, we're, again, we're talking about the marriage relationship here. We're not, I'm not referring to anything else. Women are not supposed, that's not going there, okay? Men and women talking about husband and wife, that is how the relationship was designed to be, okay? Now, we can have some difficulty with this. Some of you listening to me may have already tuned out because I'm making too much of women, that they're supposed to be smaller and inferior. Others of you may be kind of balking at this idea of having to be over them, of yes, they do need to submit. Yes, there needs to be these things. Now, we'll get into that passage on submission. Um, that is talking to women, it's not talking to men. Okay, your job is not to force your wife to submit, it's not part of it. Um, God help you if that's the way you've taken it. We'll get into all of that. But what we need to see here is that they are co heirs with Christ, they are not our slaves, they are not our bosses. Okay, they are created in the image of God like we are, but they have a different role but let's not worry so much about their role as worrying about our own role, okay? They are under men in authority, but by no means inferior to men, okay? Now, we're going to get more into the actual how this plays out and what this looks like um, probably next week. Um, But your headship as the head of the home, as the man, is not a title and it's not entitlement. That is not what that is for you. What we're going to see is that it's actually a sacred responsibility and a duty that's entrusted to you by God himself. To give you a sneak peek into that, whenever who was the first person to eat the fruit? Wasn't it Eve, the first one to be deceived? Okay, Then Adam ate. Who gets blamed in the Bible for the fall? Adam. Adam is specifically called out for introducing sin to the human race. Why? He was the head the responsibility fell to him. No entitlement. He gets the blame. And we'll see how all that plays out for us in a little bit. We see headship very wrongly, especially in Western society, okay? All right, so we need to see all this and understand this. So if the Bible does not give you license to treat women like dirt, that is not the way that God sees women, and it's definitely not the way you should. We can look at the life of Jesus to see that very clearly. But even the way God states everything here in Genesis it makes it very clear how he feels. But i got to tell you something, too, guys. You Number one, obviously, you are not—how to put this? You don't have to treat women like dirt to serve God correctly. So that should relieve a lot of you. You don't have to be that— the Macho Man make the woman like a slave and try to force your way and force her. No, that is not what Scripture is calling for. Okay, so you don't. You can just put that in your mind and rest. However, God does call you to the position of leadership. He calls you to the position of headship to be the mentor and the spiritual um, leader of your home. To be the priest. To be the person that's head over all this. All that is upon you. That is part of what God has called you to. So you don't get to be passive. You don't get to check out. She doesn't get to run everything because that's not right. It's not hers to do, okay? I don't care how good she is at it. It's not the way God designed this thing to work. And until you step up and step in, You won't realize, number one, if you have a godly wife, she's screaming for you to do that, whether you can hear it or understand it or not. And number two, you'll begin to see things begin to work correctly. There'll be peace in your home in a different way. Things will begin to work in ways you've never seen them work before. That is how this goes and how this is supposed to be. You have to be the leader, okay? Now, next week, we're going to get into a little bit more. Um, If we have time, we will get into, we're going to first of all talk about what it means to be a man, okay? Okay. In a very broad sense, or very specific sense of in the marriage, um, and in a very, very simple sense. I don't, I don't have time. We could spend, you know, months talking about what it means to be a man. We're going to do kind of a survey like we did here, and probably in that already go ahead and dive into what this looks like as being head of the household. But the bottom line, guys, here, we just want to take away that women are created in the image of God just like we are. They are not slaves, but they're also not balsas. Um, they are co-heirs in Christ. They are a beautiful, wonderful vessel that God has created, that He has gifted us in being married to a woman. If you are and you are married to a godly woman and seeking God and have a godly home, you can attest that that has been part of the fire that has changed you, that has driven you, that makes you the man you're called to be, and it's all thanks to the woman that God has given you. Okay, They, they have a very special, important role that, that no one else can fill. We need to value that and see that. But Feminism has wrecked a lot of things, and we can get into that more next week as we talk about it. But feminism has really wrecked a lot of things in the sense that it's made men feel unworthy to actually lead women because women shouldn't be led, they should be left alone. That basically, ultimately, feminism boils down to saying that women need to be more like men. But we won't go there today. But the point is, is that feminism has done a lot of harm, especially to the men, because there's a lot of men, especially the men that are trying to be loving and sensitive to their wife, that don't want, they, they see their leadership as somehow supporting the patriarchy. No, there's, the leadership is what you are called to. It's what God commands you to do. A separate worldview that's tried to twist that, like most of them that aren't based on scripture, the... Is what's caused this problem. That's what we're trying to work through now. God has called you to a position of leadership that does not require you to be detrimental to your wife. It does not belittle her in any way at all. That is not what God has called you to. So that being said, that is not where we're going. We're not talking about that at all. All right, guys, that's it for me this week. A little bit longer episode this week, but we had a lot to talk about. Um Keep this in mind. Um, when you turn to your wife, just give her a little extra smile and just remember all this. Remember, because you already know what what kind of woman she is. Okay, even if you're if listen, these. I understand that everyone that's listening to this is not in the same boat. Some people aren't even married. Some have never been married. Some are divorced. Some are young. Some are old. Some have been through this time and time again. Some of them are living in um are, are living in nothing but rainbows and roses. And other people are going through hell in their marriages right now. I understand that. Okay. We're talking about women in general. And I would challenge you that if you don't already see it, look for that woman there. But one of the things we'll talk about next week is that ultimately it falls to you. So it doesn't matter if your one if your wife is acting like a Proverbs 31, beautiful God, you know, gift of God to you right now. If you see that. Your call is much deeper. Your call is much greater. And it actually is irrespective of what she does. We'll begin to see that and talk about that next week. Um, But that's all I've got for you this week. Love your wives. Love the women in your life. Support them. And by doing so, that's part of what makes you be the man that you're called to be, as we'll get into next week. Seeing them appropriately and supporting them and loving them, but keeping that specifically God-given order is exactly how you become the man of God and take your rightful place on the battlefield as we try to reclaim the order that God created that the world has tried to rob, to steal, and to destroy from us. And we do all that in the power of God by following his word and in following the truth. So guys, thank you. Thanks again. Um, got a lot more to talk about on this topic out of time today we'll talk about it next week don't miss it thank you for tuning into this episode of fastening truth don't forget to subscribe and remember many are called but few are chosen we'll see you next time